0: I'm Greg Burrard, and welcome to my podcast on living a full life. It's become my mission to live an amazing life, to be the best version of myself that I can be, and to inspire others to be the best versions of themselves, and to create the lives that they want to live. This podcast is a narrative of my own personal journey, along with rich and meaningful conversations with truly successful people, exploring how to build great wealth while maintaining balance for family, love, health, parenting, purpose, and passion. So please join me. Let's take this journey together to uncover what it really means to live a full life. Before we get started, if you enjoy this podcast and would like to help support it, the best way to do so is to leave a review on iTunes or wherever you may listen to podcasts. Additionally, I'd love to connect with you directly. Please visit me at gregberard.com. That's G-R-E-G-B-E-R-A-R-D.com and sign up for my newsletter. Not only will you be up to date with my latest podcasts and guests, but you'll also receive my personal blog, shared resources, and other media that I plan on releasing over time. The email is also my personal email address, so I'm happy to connect with you directly. Without further ado, please enjoy this podcast on living a full life. My guests today, that's right, plural, are Bridget Sampson and her daughter, Jackie Thornhill. This was my first time interviewing two people at the same time, so it was a bit new for me, but I think the conversation really flowed nicely, and the guests were both incredibly respectful, allowing each other to fully express themselves, and I think it made for a really amazing conversation. I loved it. I found it fun, endlessly fascinating, thought-provoking, and educational. Here are the, the bios. Bridget is the founder and CEO of Samson Coaching and Consulting, where she offers leadership training and coaching programs for Fortune 500 companies. As a TEDx speaker and an emeritus professor of communication studies at California State University, Northridge. Bridget has shared her expertise on public speaking, interpersonal communication, organizational communication, and intercultural communication for over 25 years. Bridget is a professional coach certified by the International Coaching Federation and the Life Coach School, as well as a recipient for the Don Dorsey Excellence in Mentoring Award. And if that wasn't enough, she also just launched her own podcast, which I really enjoy, called The Right Questions. Jackie Thornhill, Currently serves as an administrative aide for the San Francisco Board of Supervisors. She formerly worked as a campaign manager, communications director, and congressional campaign field organizer. A proud LBGTQIA advocate, Jackie serves as vice president of events and fundraising for the Harvey Milk LGBTQ Democratic Club in San Francisco. Jackie is also the recipient of the Certificate of Honor for Transgender Leadership presented by the San Francisco Board of Supervisors. Jackie received her Bachelor of Arts in Politics and Philosophy from the University of San Francisco, where she graduated magna cum laude. I would be remiss if I also didn't mention that in her spare time, Jackie is an incredible writer, and you can follow her writing at Jackie Thornhill, that's J-A-C-K-I-E, Thornhill, dot lmediumcom Impressive bios aside, this conversation was really inspiring more than anything, it's really about family. It's about being your authentic self, even when that might be as contrarian as humanly possible. It's about mistakes, forgiveness, understanding, compassion, empathy, and love. Bridget's and Jackie's journey together during Jackie's transition has had many ups and downs, but the love for each other, the understanding and acceptance is a beautiful example of how we can and should show up for each other. It's an example of what real acceptance looks like, and it's also a shining example of what a true transition means. And I mean a transition for both of them. Jackie's transition may be the more sort of prominent one here, but make no mistake about it, Bridget's transformation during this journey has been profound. Their shared experience was so powerful and transforming that they ended up deciding to launch a new school online to help families and community. You can visit them at transgenderschool.org. That's transgenderschool.org for more information. The website is full of resources, courses, and community, and they are literally just getting started. I hope you find this conversation as interesting and as wonderful as I did. So without any further delay, please enjoy this podcast with Bridget Sampson and Jackie Thornhill. Jackie, Bridget, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for for being my guest today. Yes,
1: thank you for having us. We're excited.
0: Yeah, this is my first podcast with two people, interviewing two people at the same time. So uh, hopefully I do it justice and um, I've got a lot of caffeine in me, so I'm ready to go. Nice.
1: Same here.
0: (laughs) Hopefully not too much. Perfect. Well, I always kind of like to start with a little bit of a maybe off-topic thing and something that's maybe a little bit more light. You have a dog, Bridget, named Viper, (laughs) a Labrador named Viper. (laughs) Where, where does this, is there some sort of significance with this name? Yes. Where does this come from? Yeah, like it's an interesting name. story.
1: So my husband, Neil, who you know, want, has always wanted a Labrador, has always wanted a lab. And so he put himself on the list for a seeing eye dog that from the Guide Dogs of America. And so that he would be on the list, which was a six-year waiting list, supposedly, when he first signed up to get a dog wow. that had gone through most of Seeing eye dog school and then failed out for some reason. So one day, yeah, I got a text or a call or something from him. And he said, "We're we're gonna get one. <laughs> we're gonna get one of these dogs." And but, so Viper was trained by what was it, Jackie? I think a Marine.
2: Yeah, someone who was highly qualified to train dogs very well. And <laughs> Viper didn't didn't quite take for Viper, I guess.
1: Right. And so the name Viper was because this person was like a, you know, a serious military person. I think a Marine, forgive me if I'm getting that wrong. Neil would tell you the whole story. But, and so that's how Viper got the name Viper, which is the most. Incorrect name for a dog that you could ever imagine, right, Jackie? Because he is just the sweetest <laughs> love bug. He, you could, you know, do anything to him, and he's gonna lick you and cuddle with you and love you. So yes, he's our he's our um, family dog, and we also have Roger, our newer dog, who we love as well. And Roger's name is much more fitting for very better, very, good. I think. <laughs> <laughs>
0: And that's, no, I'm he assuming came just with the name sort of too because he, well,
1: they're both technically rescues. So huh. we just—he's just a mix—and we got him from the shelter, and that's the name he came with. He was two years old already.
0: Yeah, we had we had two rescue dogs. We had first one was Clark, and we liked his name because they named him after right. Superman. And the first time we had him in our house, we, we tried to lock him in the kitchen, so we put all these like really big high <laughs> chairs around. And, um, like almost impossible to escape. And when we came home the first night we had him, he was sitting on our couch and we're like, okay, that name's fitting. He is like, uh-huh. Superman. he somehow <laughs> flew out of that kitchen. And then we got a second dog uh-huh. named Essa, and we're
1: like, this, this, uh-huh. somebody, <laughs>
0: Oh, I love so, it. So, <laughs> so
1: you went with the whole Superman theme. I love it.
0: <laughs> yeah, we had to, we had to stick with it. Yeah. We were, we were in deep. So, well, that's uh, a great way to sort of, uh, get into into the podcast. And again, I, I mentioned to you before that this is there's no chronological order in this. So I'm just kind of going to bounce around and just sort of see where that maybe leads us. And we'll start Bridget, we'll start with you. In particular, mm-hmm. in your career, you're you're a coach. Now, you were you're an emeritus professor of communication, 28 for years. For Very good. 20, yeah. 28 years, long time. So Mike, my, my first sort of question to you is, I mean, it seems like your, your initial passion and what you went to school for was to, to be, That's to a go great into academics. Question.
1: I honestly Is had a correct? very windy path and I fell into academics because I really just love teaching and coaching and helping people learn and grow just like you, Greg, right? That we're passionate about the same things and personal development and personal and professional growth for myself. I'm a, you know self help junkie. I read all the books and I've I've always been into all of that. And I fell into education because when I was in my grad program, a professor said, well, you would be great At teaching. So why don't you teach the course? Actually, as an undergrad, because in the grad program, you could teach the basic public speaking course. And so I applied for that, love teaching, just stuck with it. But I've always done both side by side. I've always had my consulting and coaching business. We also do a lot of training in the corporate world and in education. So I've always done all of these different things, whether it's teaching in the classroom at the university or teaching in a corporate training room, or coaching one-on-one. I love, I'm passionate about all of it. I love it.
0: What was the decision process? It was tough. You don't want to know, honestly, it's
1: actually, I think it's an interesting story that I hope the people involved don't mind me sharing. I am in the Entrepreneurs Organization Accelerator program, which I know you're familiar with the organization. And so a little plug for EO and Accelerator, such a great organization. And so I was in our accountability group and I was really grappling with this decision about whether or not to retire. I had just found out that I was retirement age. I was eligible for full retirement with, with pension and full benefits for my family, for life, health, but the best health benefits you can get. And so it was a really tough decision because I had this Exit where I could really just leave that whole part of my identity, Professor Sampson, which I loved and was so attached to. But my business had been growing and growing and growing throughout the years. And I had taken on an employee who's, who's pretty much full-time. We were doing so much work that I knew that the teaching, that it, it was just kind of this conflict between the days dedicated to teaching, always having to say no to my clients. We do a lot of international travel. Our clients send us all over the world. So it was like, I always had to be back to teach my classes. So navigating all of that became more and more difficult. And I decided to bring this as a challenge to my accountability, my business accountability group. And our leader told me, well, you're going to do a presentation on this at the next meeting where you're going to present all the pros and cons and you're going to weigh the decision. And I was dreading doing this because I knew in my heart that I was done. I knew that I I loved every minute of teaching. Mm -hmm. And my last semester was one of the best ever. I'm still, I still am am in touch with those students who were in that class because they knew it was my last class. I only taught one class the last semester. I kind of had one foot out the door. Um, And what I did when I came back the next month is I said, I'm not doing my presentation because I made the decision. I already retired. I've already set it up with HR. It's done. So so I joke that the whole retirement was a way to get out of a presentation in an accountability meeting about making that decision. (laughs) But it was the right decision. It was a tough one, but I'm thrilled. It's a year and a half or two years later, and my business has just grown even more. And I've been able to, to just do so much with, our professional offerings and our travel and growing with, with new people working for the company and new clients. So I'm, it was one of the best decisions I ever made.
0: Very cool. Maybe we'll, we'll go down that rabbit hole a bit more in a bit, but let me, let me switch over to Jackie. Jackie, what was life like growing up siblings? Like what what was was life like in in the Valley growing up? Um,
2: I mean, I don't, really have a lot or any major complaints about my my upbringing there's two main houses that we grew up in that i distinctly remember i know when i was first born um my parents lived in an apartment in pasadena but we moved to the valley before i was one so i kind of have all my memories in those two houses and yeah i always remember my parents um i always remember my mom as a teacher that's my main memory is is you being a professor at csun um and then I have a variety of memories. I remember dad being a firefighter when I was really young. I remember I'd go, where's dad? He'd go, he's on a shift. And I didn't really understand. I understood that meant he was doing something <laughs> and not there. But didn't really have a concept of what that meant. And then I remember him starting his business. I remember having some vague, abstract concept of that being a difficult, challenging thing. And that eventually worked out, obviously, because we ended up moving to a bigger house. So I. I mean, yeah, I I have great memories from my childhood. I feel very lucky to have the parents I do. I feel very lucky to have grown up with an amazing sister. Who, um, when we were younger, I mean, her main goal in life was to antagonize me. But I I think we have a good relationship now that we're both young adults, and we've kind of come to an understanding. But yeah, there was definitely, as as I think most siblings have, there was a period of antagonizing each other when we were younger, but. Yeah, I mean, overall, really great memories of growing up. Definitely typical suburbia in the valley. Um, <laughs> it was, yeah, <laughs> I, could, I could say more about that, but overall, it was it was really great.
0: And then you made the decision to go. You moved to San yeah, Francisco to go was, to school? I was originally that why you to San um, San
2: going to school in Boston. I, I went to Emerson for a semester. I thought I was going to be a film editor, that was like my big goal in life. And then it just kind of hit me that I wasn't really a film person. I still like making movies. I still do um, edit video for work and other volunteer projects that I'm involved with. But it just kind of hit me that that's not what I wanted to do with my life. And it also kind of hit me that I didn't want to live on the East Coast. (laughs) Um, So a good solution was transferring over to um, University of San Francisco where I was able to major in political science. And yeah, lived here ever since. That was 2016 when I moved here. And it really does feel like home now. Don't think I'll be leaving anytime soon.
0: So are you writing full-time? Is that the sort of goal now? or no, is there, so Right now is I'm is there working um, full-time
2: for, for the city. My current position ends in January. And so I'm exploring a few different options to potentially continue working for the city uh, full-time next year. Writing is definitely something that I've always been passionate about, whether it's writing on my blog, writing for Transgender School, and trying to help build our social media presence and our blog presence um, for the website. try to do as much writing as I can, but full-time, my current passion and what I'm still committed to is public service.
0: It's wonderful. I mean, you, not to sway you in any direction, but you are, you're a really good writer, just so you know. I mean, I was really impressed with a few of the things that I read from you and not like just the content, but your writing, like your actual writing. It's, it's really impressive. I'm somebody who actually well, wants to try to write. I appreciate I like that a really
2: lot. You, it's so. funny because <laughs> I, I always read something I wrote and whether I wrote it a week ago or a year ago, I know I'm not going to like it, but the amount of time that's passed since I wrote it determines how much I'm not going to like it. So like, I'll hate something that I wrote a year ago a lot more than I'll hate <laughs> something that I wrote a week ago. But I, I think that's, that's what writing is, is you're supposed to always be getting better. You're supposed to always be learning, always trying to write the next piece better than the one before that. So it's just a matter of writing a lot. When I think about my Medium page, I wrote an average of more than a post a week, which is... Some people do a post a day, but I mean, I, I set the goal for, I think twenty. it was 2019, 2018, I averaged like a post a week. Um, and that that definitely helped me get in the zone and just be able to churn out 500,000 words. Um, but yeah, the more you do it, the better you get. So hopefully by the time I'm 60 or 70 or 80, I'll be able to write whole books. And maybe, maybe that will be what I'm doing <laughs> full time at some point. Who knows?
0: Well, I'm looking forward to reading them. The life in public service, is there a sort of particular reason why you chose to leave creative field? I mean, I guess you're still in a creative field, you're writing also, but is there a reason why you decided yeah, I, to Yeah, I think
2: I've just always been very service? passionate about social and economic justice. The first time that I really got super engaged with politics was actually when Bernie Sanders first ran for president. Followed his campaign all the way from when he announced back in 2015. Kind of went on that roller coaster. I got involved with my first campaign here in San Francisco in 2016, a state Senate candidate, Jane Kim, who actually was endorsed by Bernie. So I kind of dove in headfirst, been involved with, I think, five campaigns since then. So, yeah, electoral politics, social and economic justice. And obviously, as an extension of that, public service has always been a real passion of mine.
0: Excellent. Well, let's get into uh, some other stuff here um, Bridget we' we're, we're, we're gonna get to your podcast at some point here Great. We'll, we'll plug the <laughs> podcast a little bit more uh, towards the end of this um, so we will get to that but listening to your podcast you spoke about Jackie and that shock in your life the person that you had always known as your mm-hmm. son told you that she was your daughter and if you would be willing to I would love to to ask you- how, how did that conversation go? Can you like where were you? well, thank and you for what, what asking the
1: question exactly. and to be honest I'm not as nervous about sharing this story now because Jackie and I just relived it recently, <laughs> right Jackie, I think for the first time since it happened three and a half years ago, and that was really emotional, like I cried and um, it was tough to recount the whole conversation with or not the whole but parts of the conversation with Jackie three and a half years later we really hadn't i don't think we had revisited it until just recently is yeah. that do you think that's true yeah. Jackie? i mean we
2: we had talked about it, but to really go back in depth that that was the first time we'd done that since since the actual conversation yeah
1: yeah, and it it really my memory of it is kind of a string of conversations that probably happened over a couple of weeks after. Jackie came out, but I I vividly remember the first conversation. It was surreal. It was just, you know, like it hit me like a ton of bricks. Um, So it was an interesting day. I was out with my parents and my daughter, Joanna, for the day, and we were doing a bunch of things um, out and about. I won't get into all that, you know, the details of that, but I had a sense that something was going on with Jackie, and I had had some clues and cues that something – was troubling her. And she kept kind of convincing me, right, Jackie, like, oh, no, I'm just stressed about school and work and everything's fine. And I I just had this mother's instinct. You know, Greg, Greg, you have three kids. So I'm sure your wife you know, um, has that sort of thing and will continue to experience that. And you too, as a dad, let me not be so gendered here, which is what we're trying to teach people, right? That moms and dads, they have these feelings. And I just knew something was, Going on, and I had this this anxiety and angst, and I was telling my parents that day, like something's going on with Jackie, and I think it's really big. And they were saying, "No, everything's fine." What do you, you know, everyone else was kind of trying to placate me, and I was like, "No, no, no, I've got to get in touch." And we were all together that day. It was like a fun day where we were doing some things, and we were at a museum, and and I kept texting Jackie and pestering her and being like, "I need to talk to you. I need to talk to you." and Finally, she caved in, I think, and said, okay, fine. I could talk on the phone for a little bit. And I I made the call. I, I pulled myself away from the things that I was doing to get quiet and to get into a space. I was in this outside space, happened to be a park and all these kids were running around. You know how you remember these moments in your life. It was like some kind of a Monet painting where everything was blurred and kids were running around. And here I am on the cell phone with Jackie and just pestering her, what is going on with you? What is going on? Something's wrong. All these, you know, and I mentioned all the clues that I had pieced together, my little Sherlock Holmes adventure of what is going on with my kid. She was 19 at the time. And then she said the words, I can't believe I'm about to say this. Did I get that right, Jackie? Is that what you something said? Something
2: like that. I actually I, I couldn't tell you verbatim, but
1: yeah. Right. But Close. it was something like I can't believe I'm about to say this. And then my heart just sank. And I my brain worked so hard to figure out what on earth it could be. Right. And it felt like an hour was probably 30 seconds and my brain for some reason because it just needed an answer it needed a solution it needed to be ready decided that she was gay okay so i'm going to be the mother of a gay son that's and i went all the way there oh we're going to go to pride marches and oh i'm going to have You're right about uh, you know uh, Right. I'm going to have a son in law. We did. We have done that many times now. Um, and, but I like created the whole story in my mind. I decided, and what's weird is that there was no evidence for that. She was at the time in a long-term relationship with a woman, you know, and, but it was like, my brain just needed something and it had to be something big. And it felt like it was something along those lines. And so she said, I'm confused about my gender identity. Now I know what that means. i had actually taught it in some of my courses in communication studies. I taught intercultural communication where we explore diverse identities. So I knew very well what that meant, but my brain still couldn't process. And so I said to her, and this is one of my big, like I have this whole category, this whole bucket that I want to share with people in our courses that we're going to be teaching, like things I would take back that would give anything to take back that I said. And here's the first one. I said, I think you mean your sexual orientation. And meanwhile, I knew that she knew the difference like she said she came to class with me. I started bringing her to my classes where I taught all of these concepts from I think 9 or 10 years old. I would drag her to cl- university level upper division courses in in you know in culture and racism and identity. And so and and we talked about all these things. So it was really it's really strange to look back and think about why did I say that? It was some brain kind of like way of trying to process something that you just had never considered, that you couldn't believe, you couldn't accept. And she immediately said, no, mom, I know the difference and I know what I'm talking about. And then what I remember is just her being pretty clear. Like, I know this about myself. I know this is going to be hard for you and it's a shock, but I, you know, I'm like, I'm, I know this, you know, and, and her being really confident in that. And so then moving to the conversations over the coming days, unfortunately, I I deeply regret that I stayed in this denial and disbelief and shock and interrogated her. I don't think I was, I've always, I, I hope wanted to be a mother who was kind and loving with my kids, but I now see that even just questioning her so much was very unkind and not at all loving and supportive. So I questioned like, could this be a phase and couldn't it be something else? How could this be when, how could this come out at 19 when we had no signs? Now we've come to learn, I'm in a support group where very rarely do people have signs. This is actually much more classic case where it's suppressed and it's denied. And there's so much fear of what society would do that, you know, now I now know people who are in their fifties who are still living as a gender that people think they are and know inside and have like means online to find community, know inside that they're trans. Like it could be anybody it's it's people have no idea how pervasive this experience is. But I, I go off into some of, you know, what we've learned and are trying to teach, but that's a three year journey. So going back to the beginning, you know, I remember in one of the very first phone calls, Jackie asked me, will you ever see me as your daughter? And I said, no. And just thinking about that makes me ill now because she's—I don't see her as anything other than 100% my daughter, a woman, uh, a woman I just adore and admire and love more than anything in the world. So those initial conversations were, on my part, from a place of of fear and ignorance and difficulty coming to terms with. The reality of life and the reality of who my daughter is, and what she was telling me, and I, I, I want nothing more than to help people make hopefully different choices in those initial conversations.
0: Yeah, thank you for for sharing that um, and uh, being so so honest. I really appreciate that, Jackie. If it was a shock to your mom. Uh, obviously most likely was not a shock to you <laughs> if you wouldn't mind kind of going back and talking about, is there a time you remember when you started to, to think about or question or wonder mm-hmm. what you were feeling that might be different? And do, do you, do you remember a specific yeah, time? I think the thing that, that really that triggered occur?
2: it for me, I mean, I, I had always since before puberty, as long as I could remember, I had always experienced physical dysphoria Um, I'd always been uncomfortable with my body. I'd always wanted my body to be different. I always had a clear concept of that from a very young age, but I don't think I had an idea that that's actually something you can do with hormones and surgery, that you can actually transition. You can actually be perceived as a different gender um, and society can kind of accept you as that gender that you identify as. That's what I didn't really have a concept of. And of course, not all trans people experience dysphoria, but that was, that was my experience was that I always knew because I always had this physical dysphoria, but what really triggered, um, the idea that I might actually transition and that it might actually be something I could do was when I moved to San Francisco and when I actually met trans people for the first time, I think I remember I was interning at city hall and there was an intern in another office who was trans, um, And then I also remember I I was listening to a podcast, actually, and they were interviewing a couple of trans women. And so I I think those are two experiences um, in my head, meeting another trans woman in person, and then hearing other trans women share their experiences where it kind of clicked in my brain, oh, that's what I'm experiencing. And if I want to try to alleviate these negative feelings and these difficult feelings that I'm having to some degree... Then I'm going to want to transition. Um, I'm going to want to actually come out. And that's, I I realized pretty quickly that wasn't going to be easy, but realizing that it wasn't going to be easy was a step forward from thinking it wasn't possible at all. So that was kind of what triggered it for me.
0: What was the self talk like? You're a young kid, young teenager going through puberty. Like, I mean, maybe it's so suppressed that you can't really describe it, but. What's the self talk going like you feel this dysphoria and how do you reckon that with yourself at such a young age? The self-talk I mean, how did was that, like all that right, what time is you? my
2: dad going to bed and how many bowls do I have left? Um <laughs> but no, I mean really it was it, it was a matter of <laughs> how can I repress it? How can I get myself in a mental state where I don't feel shitty? How can how can I get to a place where I'm comfortable mm. existing with my own thoughts? Like It was like little things. Like I I was really, when I was a a kid, I always wanted to fall asleep with the TV on because I hated just laying in bed at night and being alone with my own thoughts. So I would always fight with my parents about like, I, I had to fall asleep with the TV on and they would come turn it off and I would turn it back on after they went to bed. So I think it was just always an experience of being uncomfortable with myself and always trying to find ways to escape that discomfort. I don't think there was a lot of self-talk. The self-talk that there was, I didn't really want to engage with because it was basically just, you know, why are you feeling this way? What can you do about this? And it really, I mean, until we we grew up in a liberal area, Um, I mean, we grew up in a suburb of Los Angeles. It's not like we grew up in the Bible Belt or anything like that, but still there were no trans people. There was no there was no trans experience being normalized. There was there was no being taught about what it was to be trans. I was raised in a very heteronormative, cisnormative, gendered culture, so it wasn't something that I really could conceptualize until I had until I got out of that culture and, and lived in San Francisco for a while.
0: Hmm. Well, we'll probably talk. I mean, we'll definitely talk more about this sort of new learn this new school this new class that you guys are creating but before we go there and and maybe it's it's a good sort of lead up to that but what do you think you know I'm I have three young young children as Bridget mentioned and we try to uh like at an early age I've always told my wife like we're going to try to make sure our mm-hmm. kids know that they're loved no matter what they choose like I mean we were like a, a few months ago we were playing with um get two two Disney characters, Gaston and Jafar. And my daughter likes the villains for some reason. And um and uh uh in our house, Jafar is like a love-struck man. He just he wants to be loved. And uh we were like, Jafar and Gaston are you know a good couple, they can they can marry. And my daughter was like, Boys don't get married. Mm-hmm. We're like, yes, they do, absolutely. If they love each other, they do. And we so I, like she's three. So I mean we we're starting, you know, pretty early, but is there are there ways? Um, and is this maybe something you talk about in the class? Like, are there ways that parents can, from a really early days, kind of start to sort of gently, not like lead anybody in any position, but just make sure everyone's
2: comfortable. Definitely on the right track. I mean, I think the best thing we can do is raise our kids in a non-gendered way is to raise your kids exactly to think like boys can marry boys, girls can marry girls, like, and, and especially I think as a parent the hard part for you is not being attached to your child's assigned sex. I think a lot of parents have this concept Mm -hmm. of my child is assigned this sex. This is who they are. And they're very attached to that concept. And then that gets upset. And their whole idea of who their kid is supposed to be kind of gets thrown out the window and that's upsetting and traumatic for them. So I think to not, to not form those constructs in the first place to, I mean, I think it's fine to want good things for your kids. It's great to want your kid to be successful. But I think there's a difference between wanting your kid to be what you want them to be and wanting them to be happy and successful. And then I think a lot of people have this kind of misguided fear that if you raise your kids in too much of a gender neutral way or in too much of an accepting way, you're going to like make them gay or make them trans or something. But that's really not the case. I mean, I am... I, I know someone who I've worked with who is in a same sex relationship who has two kids and they're both women and they've raised their kids in a completely gender neutral way, like with te- not telling their kids that they are whatever gender, just teaching them that there are genders. You don't have to identify as a gender. Whatever you identify with is fine. And one of their kids, as far as I'm aware and as far as he articulates, the signed male identifies as a boy perfectly cisgender heterosexual kid, as far as I'm aware. And the other kid, totally queer, totally doesn't identify with her assigned sex. Like, So I don't think that there's any harm in raising your kid in a perfectly gender neutral way. I don't think there's any harm in that. And I think that if your kid is cis, if your kid is heterosexual, you're not going to change that. That is who they are just as much as them being trans or them being gay or them being bi or anything else is who they are. So I think raising your kids without those preconceptions, without those assigned roles is the best thing that we can do. Yeah.
1: Can I add a little? Oh, oh sorry. Thank you. Yeah. I, I'd like to add a little to that because, yeah, you please. know, Greg, as I'm sure you can imagine as a parent, like it's really, it's still painful for me to hear when Jackie talks about that, like the answer she just gave you, it's very practical, right? But what it what comes to me as she's talking is we didn't do that. Like I think we did a pretty good job with with sexual orientation. I had friends who were gay and lesbian who 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 my um, daughters were always mingling with, right, and and friendly with, and very well aware of, um, and family members as well. So the the L G part the of L-B- the acronym and I part think, of the Q, right? I think <laughs> I did okay with, um, but we never. I don't think we ever had conversation ever about what it was to be transgender. I didn't, I I just, it just didn't, it wasn't in the, like it's so much a part of our cultural conversation now. It's unbelievable. You know, not that I'm advocating the way this was handled or anything, but it was the Caitlin Jenner, you know, example, I think that really broke everything open much more in in much more in the mainstream. So when I was raising my kids, we didn't talk about it. We didn't know anyone. There was no conversation. So I can say to you, Greg, you know, you're starting already. I mean, you're having this podcast, you know, you're so much more aware and and you're just gonna be sharing that awareness with your kids. And I'm seeing so many parents doing that. And, you know, it could be anywhere from, you know, like Jackie does know people and I now know people who really did go all the way to that choice. So when their kids were born, they said, we don't know what gender you are. You'll tell us when you, when you not choose it, cause it's not a choice. We'll tell us, you'll tell us when you become aware of what your gender is. Your gender is not necessarily what we call your assigned or designated sex at birth. That's what a doctor designates when you're born. Doesn't for a so many more people, podcast listeners, please hear me. Cause I know we're part of this community now, but you have got to believe me. This is just exploding. Like you are going to know trans people if you, you know, if you, if you continue to grow and get older (laughs) in life, which I hope you're all going to do, you're going (laughs) to know lots of trans people because it's not that they haven't always been part of our world. It's that it's becoming more safe to come out, not safe, but safer. And people are becoming more educated. So I didn't know any of that. And I didn't expose my kids to it. And parents today, by and large, they are, they have to have these conversations. Everybody I talked to, I just talked to a colleague and she's like, oh, I'm going to pass um, your information about your transgender school onto my, um, the, the principal at my kid's school, because they've got like three kids transitioning right now. It's like, it's just, everybody knows now. And I didn't know.
0: Yeah, well, I thank you for sharing that. And you can't know what you don't know. Right, <laughs> you have to learn it somehow. Some people learn it f- from the school of hard knocks, and some people like me get to have <laughs> right. a podcast experience. <laughs> so, uh, you know, don't don't be too hard on yourself. You know, you it, you know, it, it's uh, journeys like Caitlin's and journeys like yours that sort of pave the way. For Mm -hmm. sort of freedom to to choose your identity, for 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 freedom to get to Mm -hmm. sort of get rid of labels so much, which are just so harmful in almost any sense of the of the word. So, yeah, labels just don't don't do a good job of you know it's our human way of describing something using words, which is just a limited way of describing what what something. You know, we're just humans. We're fluid. We're we're alive. We're living beings. We're all Mm -hmm. connected. Um, And I I like to always say we're we're just all all living creatures floating around on this large blue organic spaceship <laughs> through the universe, okay. and um, and uh, you know just doing the best that we can. So, but thank you for for sharing that, both of you. I uh, really appreciate that. Before we go into trans school a little bit about transgender school a little bit and what you what you're doing, what you're creating, can we just take one little step back? And Jackie, let me just ask you what does transitioning actually mean? So what what does it mean? Maybe it means different for different yeah, people. I, I appreciate but what does it transitioning mean to It you? does
2: mean something very different to every person. So I'll share my experience, but just prefacing that with um, the disclaimer that there is no right or wrong way to transition. It's totally a kind of do-it-yourself, make-your-own-adventure thing. So for me, that means hormones. That means pretty much going the full nine yards, not necessarily. I know some people do facial surgery, um, or other things like that. That's not something that I personally feel I need to do to alleviate my dysphoria, but pretty much everything short of that, um, hormone surgery. Yeah. Um, eventually I'll get around to doing all the, uh, painful electrolysis where they zap every last hair off your face. Um, uh, I've done I've done some of the laser stuff, but that's less permanent. The electrolysis is a little more painful, but a little more permanent. So, um, a lot of pain, a lot of money, a lot of medical care that unfortunately a lot of people who would like to have access to don't have access to. So that's what it means for me. Yeah.
1: And well, also, I mean, Jack. Sorry, Greg, to interrupt, but I. Speaking to social transition.
2: Yes. Yes, of course. It's coming out to people, getting all your official documents um, done. My partner helped me a lot with that. So big shout out. Thanks, Tori. Um, She can probably hear me in the other room. But getting like your driver's (laughs) license, your social security number your bank, um, telling people at your work. I was, I I was doing an internship and going to school at the time. So I had to kind of update everything with my school and with my internship. I was lucky that I went to a school that had a preferred name policy so I could have my name changed before it was done legally. So yeah, a lot of red tape, a lot of paperwork, a lot Mm -hmm. of hassle. That's the part of it that a lot of people don't really think about, but is a big pain in the ass and really, um, is a huge barrier for a lot of people who don't have access to a lot of free time and disposable income to pay fees and go to different government offices and fill out forms and all that stuff.
0: Very, very interesting. I never, I mean, my wife went through the sort of name change thing and I remember how big of a pain in the ass that was. Yeah. I mean, I can't imagine the yeah, it was a the red table changing um, identity in the
2: courtroom because it was a group of people we were all sitting together getting called up one at a time to get our name change paperwork official and so it was it was three types of people it was people getting divorced people getting married and trans people it was a funny little group <laughs>
1: And Greg I just want to say since Jackie shared all of that and there's so much more you can imagine like what 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 she's describing is just the tip of the iceberg of the 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 all that it takes to transition just think about like people who say, oh, it's a choice. Oh, it's, you know, I've heard everything. I've heard like, oh, people who are trans there, it's just a cry for attention. They just want to do something different. They just want to, you know, and even parents, I hate to say, because I counsel a lot of parents now, um, through various groups I'm part of, and it's like, they don't believe it. And they're like, oh, my kid is just trying to make trouble who would go through all of this and so much more, right? And medical treatment and everything it entails, like if it weren't really, really real for them and really necessary. And one thing I do want to say and give a big shout out is to, I think many of, I can't say specifically, many, many insurance companies now are, are covering all of it because it's considered medically necessary. It's like if you had a medical condition, right? Like, a heart disease and you needed heart medication. It's considered medically necessary to, to have, if, if the, per, if the trans person needs and wants gender confirmation surgery, hormones, you know, the whole, all of it. Um, and I personally, I know it's controversial to a lot of people support that and advocate it advocate for it.
0: 100%. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't disagree. I just can't imagine you know, we love our kids and I just can't imagine sort of the internal pain you must feel to have this dysphoria um, or just, just to have these confusing thoughts, wondering if you're going to be loved wondering. I mean, it's just, it's so much for, for, for such a young person to have to go through. And I mean, you're brave for going through it. Some people don't make it through it and it's no wonder why it's not. Whether you're accepted at the end of the day or not, the journey itself is just, I I can't imagine going through that and not supporting someone that you love. I understand being in denial. I mean, that, that, that happens when you, as Jackie said, when you sort of attach your relationship to your kid as this kid is this, this kid is that. So, and it just sort of gets, gets flipped upside down, but uh, yeah, I don't disagree with you. Um, One more question on this, Jackie now that you're going through, uh, the transition and you, your hormones and all these things, you've I feel changed good. Your I mean, identity. I think there's How do you feel?
2: You want to not fall into the trap of thinking that transitioning is going to solve everything because life is just kind of mm-hmm. difficult sometimes regardless. But I mean, I feel good. I think it was, it's it's been a difficult process. It's never really fully over. I mean, it's not fully done, but it's, I think I've gone through a lot of the most difficult parts, at least socially getting misgendered a lot in the beginning felt really shitty. Um, so in the, in the beginning it was really shitty. Like I I would say the first three to six months were, were rough. Um, just, just walking out the door every day required, um, a significant amount of willpower. Um, but now I'm at the point where, I mean, I, I will go a whole day or two without even like thinking about the fact that I'm trans aside from just taking my hormones, um, or unfortunately, sometimes I'll forget to take them because I don't think about that I'm trans. But no, it it's good. I'm very glad that I did what I did. I can't begin to imagine being 23 years old today and having not transitioned, um, having not been on hormones for the past few years. Um, that That's a scary thought. So I feel very lucky that I that I came to terms with things when I did and that I had the support that I did, that I had the healthcare that I did. And I feel very grateful to be where I am right now.
0: So thank you for sharing all that deep stuff. I know that's, you know, some of that's hard to revisit, but uh, I really appreciate it. And I think people listening to this will appreciate it as well. And it's a perfect segue now into sort of talking about transgender school and what you two are are creating and we can kind of pump that a little bit. What what are you what are you doing? What's the what's the project? Yeah. You, well, thank you, you for letting us
1: talk about it, Greg, because we're both really passionate about it. And I think it came out of, you know, I I'm an I've always been a speaker and an educator. And, you know, and I was starting to actually weave sharing my experience into some of my work already. Like I had been a keynote speaker and someone who hired me for a big Fortune 500 company to be a keynote speaker knew about Jackie and said, well, you know, would you be willing to share that? And it was all about powerful communication. I was like, of course, it's a great example. And I share, I I wove into the story how you can't take back your words and things I had said to Jackie and really to help people. And people were crying in the audience and it was a large audience. and, And moments like that were like, you know, you just have that buzz of like, wait a minute, maybe this is what I was really meant to do. Maybe this is my calling and, you know, maybe all of this public speaking and I have a TEDx talk on the power of public speaking and things like that. were all kind of leading up to this. And this is the message that I am meant to share. And every time it's been, it hasn't been that much yet that I've had the opportunities to do that tomorrow. I'm excited. I'm speaking at a church service of a very open-minded um, universalist Unitarian church. So I'm starting to get invited to things like that. Jackie and I are getting invited to more speaking opportunities. And so this was kind of happening already, you know, where people are so interested and they're like, well, why don't you come talk to us about this? Even, you know, my corporate clients, or at least bring it in, bring that story in. You know, this is something we have initiatives, our diversity, equity, inclusion initiatives, are trying to incorporate more transgender stories. And so it was already kind of happening. And so I think I, I texted Jackie one day and just said something like, we need to like start a business and do speaking together and we need to start something. And I, and initially Jackie was resistant. like, we don't, we can't make people pay for that. We should just do it. And I was like, I know we can do it lots for free and make lots of resources available, but what if we actually you know, made it a business too, because we both have to work and earn a living anyway, right? you know, and what if like schools and organizations that have money for this kind of education were willing to pay us because we're going to be putting in, and we already have put in hundreds and hundreds and we meet every week. We You know, just putting together the website and all the resources we've compiled and our articles that we're writing and our tips and everything. So, you know, we we just started these conversations through text. I mean, she's in San Francisco. I'm in Los Angeles in the Valley, but we talk a lot. And, you know, sadly, because of COVID, we haven't seen each other in this year much. But I used to travel up there all the time for work. So we would see each other a couple of times a month for dinners and fun outings in San Francisco. So now it's all by text and we get on Zoom and we do our strategizing and we want to i mean our big goal is to offer online courses that people can come to and and to have live courses and live webinars and then ultimately you know comes in really handy that Jackie is i mean she She's modest, but she is an outstanding filmmaker and film editor, and uh, you know she. So so we have quite the perk there when we get to like creating evergreen online courses that we'll offer for people, always affordable and widely available. But why not? Why not make it a business and make the world a better place at the same time? It's
2: funny. I remember when you first pitched it to me. um, I think I misunderstood the scope of it because I had this vision in my head of like <laughs> a couple of YouTube videos of us telling our story. And I, I really love what it's become. Um, it's, yeah, it's become something so much bigger than I could have imagined it would be. And I'm really, really excited to roll out our courses and to roll out. Um, we're going to be doing free courses, paid courses, live stuff, evergreen stuff. We have, I think we have a lot of great content already put together. And we have a great timeline, some great products that we're planning. So I'm really excited to see it all come together and hopefully we can help a lot of people in the process.
0: This is the power of entrepreneurialism when it's when it's actually put to sort of good use. When it's put to good use, you you send people up to ISS and you know, and bring a rocket back down to earth. You 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 solve a, a big public need. You create a, a cool little shoe company and put mm-hmm. shoes on people that mm-hmm. they can't afford them. You do things like mm-hmm. this, and this is what entrepreneurialism can't, has the power to do. And I, I truly believe that that um, not only can it can it sort of help people with this sort of quote unquote American dream type of thing where you where you can kind of roll up your sleeves and make a you know really nice life for yourself, but you can do something good good mm-hmm. at the same time. So kudos to you both where where can people find out more about Yes uh,
1: transgenderschool.org and we are on all social media we have a really fun I mean fun but intense and really eye-opening and enlightening Facebook group that every day more and more people are asking to join I really vet people carefully and I check them out because um, we want to keep really safe spaces um, and and our Facebook group and all our community, opportunities are for everyone. They're not for, they can be for transgender people. We have lots of transgender people joining us, but they're for parents of transgender people, friends of trans teachers. Lots of teachers have come to us and like, help me understand my every, I mean, I know as a professor in my last few semesters, I had at least one transgender person in every class. So we really want to help teachers with things like pronouns and how to have conversations with your students in affirming ways. And so um, you can find us everywhere, but I'm so happy we found an easy, simple name. Everybody can remember it, spell it, it's easy. It's just Transgender School. That's where we are on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. That's our website, .org. And we're, we're, we're getting out there. We're, we we want to reach out far and wide to everybody. And if you go to transgenderschool.org,
2: um, there's a little pop-up there where you can put in your email and sign up and you will get our list of 10 top tips for communicating with transgender people. It's a great little primer for the kind of content we're going to be putting out. Um, so I encourage anyone who's listening to go to transgenderschool.org. Um, put in your email. Uh, we won't bug you too often, but we'll keep you updated about our content as we're putting new stuff out and you'll get those 10 tips right away.
1: And I want to add to that. The other Perfect. thing that's at transgender school.org, which you do not have to give us your email for, you can immediately go to is our resource list. We spent many, many hours compiling a very extensive resource list at the very top of it. You will see three suicide hotlines, you don't have to click the phone numbers right there for people who are in need. And, and our, our vision, by the way, is saving lives, keeping families together and making work school and all spaces safe for transgender people. Um, That's our vision. And so our resource list, you know, demonstrates how we're, how we're embodying that vision by constantly sharing resources on this list. And anybody can go, the re the resource list is, It's literally just a Google doc because we keep adding to it and adding to it. And our community keeps coming to us and saying, you have to add this. And we're getting, now we're creating, like, we're moving into creating like separate pages for each state because we have people in every state in the country who are joining Mm -hmm. our community and saying, we have this resource in Michigan and we have this resource in New York. And, um, you know, we really need more um, support and information about resources in, in some of the Middle of the country and the southern states, where people are in dire need of support and do not have it by and large, especially young people. I can't tell you, Greg, how many people have come to both me and Jackie, how many young people, and told us that they're trans and that they can never tell their parents and they can never tell anybody in their life, especially Jackie. I mean, her heart has gone out. And had so many conversations so, with so many young people. I I feel guilty, but I've sent young people to her because I know that it's going to be a lot more helpful and potentially save their life to talk to her more than me as being so much older. This is this pervasive where people in our country, in our world cannot talk to anybody safely and they come to us. So we really, really need people to help us with our resource list for support groups, for or private um, phone numbers you know like the Trevor project a really huge shout out to the Trevor project. They've got a 24/7 text line anybody can text someone just for transgender, Issues and, and support um, the 24 hour phone coverage just for transgender support, people who are feeling suicidal, people who have no support, no one in their life knows. So there is such a great need here. And we're just starting to do this. So please go to our website and see what we're doing there and help us if you can to add to it.
0: Thank you. Yeah, no, and I'll put this um, too when we sort of release it. I'll, I'll sort of you. make sure it's on the website and, uh, and social posts. Let's um I promised you, uh Bridget, (laughs) that we would talk about your podcast. (laughs) So let's 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 talk about that. Your podcast is all about Mm -hmm. asking the right questions and power of asking the right questions. And I listened to to the podcast the other day. I really, I really liked it and actually went home and I sort of asked myself the two questions of the first podcast. Um I found that to be um a really fun exercise. And also a really grounding exercise, too. Um, I generally, your your first question, you can talk about this, too, if mm-hmm. you'd like, or we can just talk about the podcast in general, but your first question mm-hmm. was, how do I want to feel about this? Um, it's a, a really, it's it's something I, I do, too. I sort of word it a little bit differently. It's like, you know, it's like, do I want to feel the way I'm feeling about this, or can I think about this in a different way? And how do, how do I, you know, how do I, like, what's actually helpful for me? Um, and then your, your partner's question, um, which was also, Something I've I've never really asked myself, which I thought was really great, was, what are the decisions I can do now mm-hmm. to make myself proud in ten years? Yeah, something like that. I'm paraphrasing. I just thought those questions were were great. The examples were great. The 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 content of the episodes were really unique and and uh, and fun to listen to. So, why put out a <laughs> podcast? And why why about That's the right
1: question? Great question, Todd. Uh, my partner is Todd, so I almost called you Todd. My my business partner. My my. Partner in the podcast. My husband is Neil. Todd is a dear, dear friend. He's worked for my company for eight years and he and I just really spontaneously. I think, I I don't know how long you were thinking about it, Greg, before you did it, but we didn't really think about it for a long time before we did it. We just said, you know, we we work together constantly training and coaching people and doing so many programs that people tell us are so valuable and helpful in their lives. And we thought, why not do a podcast? So we dove right into it. We did take a course, which was fantastic, called the Podcast Accelerator with Michelle Soro and Ginny Saraswati, who are just brilliant podcasters themselves and media personalities out there, and they were fantastic teachers. And so we kind of committed, like, we're going to do this eight-week course, and you do the course, and you commit that your first episode will come out the last week, and there's no going back, so we signed on and we got wow. so much support and we had so much fun, but we, uh, we, in our coaching work and in our training work and professional development, we rely heavily on questions. Um, we both went through the international coaching federation certification program together. And one of the books that you, uh, read in that program, which is fantastic is by Marilee Adams. It's called change your questions, change your life. And we all know that the right question, which is the title of our podcast makes all the difference, right? And Todd and I laugh about how we'll never run out of things to talk about with the right a topic, the right question. Like, what's the right question on a first date? Like who's been on a first date where the person keeps asking you really lame questions? (laughs) And you're like, you know, and you're like, okay, this is never going to go anywhere. But what if they ask you a really meaningful question that gets you to open up a little and share things that are important to you? Right? Like on a podcast, like the questions you ask your guests. Or would determine if it's a great podcast interview or if it's just superficial and boring, right? Nobody's going to listen. So, yes, yeah, so we just came up with the idea. We put it out there and we're having great fun with it. Our first episode was kind of the opener with our personal favorite questions, which you referred to. Our second episode, we recorded the day after the election when we didn't know who was going to be our president. It's, no, you I know. Don't know, even get me started. <laughs> so, our question that day, which was perfect to talk about, was how can I be a unifying force post election? Like, how are we going to bring people together amidst mm. all this divisiveness? And our third episode, um, the question was, how can I stop shooting all over people? <laughs> we talked about how we just have the most <laughs> ridiculous. Shoulds for everybody, you should be doing this and you should be doing less of that, and you should be doing more of that, you should be eating that, and you shouldn't have said that. And it just causes so much pain, and strife, and suffering, and conflict. And so, we're really like every episode so far, we're just so excited about it and passionate about it. We've gotten a great response from people. And in each, it's every two weeks, every other Tuesday, we're just going to bring what we think is hopefully a thought provoking question for everyone to ask themselves. It's not about us, it's all about you and asking yourself the question, what do you come up with? How does it help you in your life? And we're sharing our pretty personal examples uh, to model that.
0: Yeah. Is this an ongoing thing? Is it like uh, we're going to have one season or is it I think it just, it's gonna gonna going to keep going as like long as- <laughs>
1: you know, as long as we have a few listeners, you know, and as long as every, every episode so far, people have reached out and said, that was great. It really helped me. I really asked the question. I brought the question to my coach or my therapist, or I, I journaled on the question. Um, as Mm -hmm. long as that's happening with a couple people, we'll keep doing it.
0: Awesome. Yeah, no, I, I really liked the first episode and I've subscribed. I'm looking Thank forward to listening to Thank you.
1: Thank you for that. And I Thank love you your podcast that. too. It's a mutual admiration society. I think we're very much in the same, you know, genre of of personal development and growth and awareness and, you know, and just just really digging deeper into how to how to be a better person and, and live a fuller life. Right.
0: <laughs> well, that leads right perfectly. Like I like you just teed up my next, my next little segment here, which, you know, you, you've mentioned this mm-hmm. podcast is all about sort of living your fullest life. Mm-hmm. choosing to live deliberately and consciously. Um, and Jackie, I can't think of any person mm-hmm. making such a deliberate choice, a, a more deliberate choice, um, a more difficult choice, a more brave choice, uh, than you've made to sort of, to be the person that you are. And, um, and Bridget, I know that, um, that your, your daughter has, you, you, you mentioned on your podcast as has, has inspired you and you kind of, you kind of spoke about it in the podcast that your first thoughts were mm-hmm. of concern. Your daughter's going to have a really hard life now. You know, what is, what is dating life going to be like? What is work? You know, uh, what's, what's that going to be like for, for her. And then you sort of had this you, you, when you asked yourself the question um, that you mentioned in your podcast, you sort of have this realization that okay, it may be a hard life, but isn't it a much harder mm-hmm. life not being your authentic, true self? And I thought that was really powerful. And that's really what the podcast, my, my podcast, is all about. Mm-hmm. Sort of discovering is like who, who am I? Mm-hmm. Who do I want to be? And and what kind of life do I want to build? Mm-hmm. How do I build mm-hmm. the fullest life possible for myself? And how do I how am I the most authentic version of me? And I guess I want to get into what that all means to you. But before we we go right there, I want to ask you, how has Jackie's sort of bravery and her decision to live, her authentic self, helped you in living your authentic self? In every single (laughs) way. I mean,
1: I just can't even tell you how much it has changed and transformed me as a person. I mean, in the beginning, it's so selfish and it's embarrassing to say, but I was so terrified about telling people about, you know, everybody knew me as a certain person and I have this son and, you know, and I was, I was that parent who just gushed about my kids. Like everybody who knew me, all my professional contacts, they knew every, how was I going to tell people? What were they going to think of me? Right. And I could not care less. Now I tell everybody and anybody, Oh, my transgender daughter, blah, 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 blah. And I know it's like, you know, I don't have to mention it all the time, but I do because I'm so proud of her. Like, I actually have completely gotten 180 from being terrified. Like, how would, what if people find out? What are they going to think? So much fear and, and just, you know, I don't even know why, like looking back, I don't understand why it was so terrifying for me because you know what? Everybody I talk to now is like so supportive, right? Like you're having us on your podcast to talk about it, right? Three and a half years ago, Greg, I would have not said a word about this. I would have been talking to you about business and other things. And now I'm like, yes, let's talk about it. So it has completely transformed me from someone who was so worried about what people thought about me and would always, you know, I was always, very open and transparent. And I was always teaching, you know, 28 years in the classroom, you basically put your life, you tell your, that's what my students loved about my classes is I would share everything about my marriage, my family. So all of a sudden there was this crisis moment of, I can no longer do that because there's something I'm too afraid to share. And it's, so it's pushed me out of like, I don't care. You know, (laughs) People need to know about this. We're proud of this. Um, Jackie is, the most inspiring, brave, amazing person I've ever known. And I get to say that she's my daughter. Like how amazing is that? So it's taken away my fear of what people think. It's taken away those barriers of like being your authentic self with people. And I I actually wrote an article about how like the biggest barrier for me was the corporate clients because in the university, and I I was teaching one of the most diverse universities. So it was pretty easy. Like I still waited a couple of semesters, but once I started telling my colleagues and my students, it was like, everybody was cheering us on, you know, my daughter's coming out and transitioning and everybody was like, so supportive and happy. So I waited a really long time then to tell any of my corporate clients, like, people i was really good friends with and it was so painful because i would mm-hmm. i i had to play this dance of like shifting the conversation away from talking about my kids with people who i had talked about my kids with for years because i couldn't i even miles away from her i could not misgender jackie i could not pretend that she was my son with people who are perfect strangers to her i couldn't do it to her even though she would never know it just i i, I couldn't live with myself so i i literally had to like make excuses for oh so sorry i got to go when they start asking about my kids right and so when i finally made that transition and saw that even my corporate clients were like supportive and embraced us and were then like i said some oh well can you speak about that in the in the training you're going to give in the talk you're going to give it just completely shifted my every paradigm <laughs> i ever had and every construct i ever had and not to mention how I don't even see gender in any way, shape or form the way I used to see it. Like I realized, you know, I remember Jackie saying, you know, you know, you're transphobic and you know, you're like cisnormative, And I was like, no, I'm not, I'm so super open-minded. And I'm like, oh my God, I was, and I still am. But, um, working to break through it and it's just like racism you know we i used to always teach in my classes about unconscious bias and racism and how we have to own own up to it before we can ever you know be part of of moving away from it and you know it's the same thing like why would i say i'm not transphobic of course i am because i i bought into our whole culture so it's changed everything for me greg i could go on for hours so i'll stop there but i am a completely different person in every single way. And I feel better and fuller and happier and much more able to serve as an educator and a coach and a teacher and a volunteer, because I do put a lot of volunteer time in as well with our support group and uh, other, other programs in this realm.
0: Thank you. Jackie, how do you feel? Are you proud of your mom and how she's am, yeah. grown I'm these really last three, three and a half years? I,
2: I feel really lucky to have parents and especially a mom who have been so understanding and have been so committed to learning and growing over these years. And yeah, I just, I feel like I couldn't have gotten any luckier in terms of having parents who, who really came around and really committed to understanding and to and to, you know, rebuilding that relationship. And I think we're in a great place today. Yeah. <laughs> yeah that, takes, that takes some level of being able to work together and get yeah along we have sure. we have
1: our little we have our little tips and it's always my fault because jackie jackie knows a ton about like social media marketing and she's trying to teach me she's run campaigns you know and she's teaching me about like facebook ads and i'm just doing it all wrong and she's like let me so it's going to be fun. Uh, it's a good thing that we rebuilt our relationship, It worked hard to communicate effectively and get along well. Because yes, as you say, Greg, we are all in with this business together.
0: Uh, Jackie, let's start with you. I asked this question to, to every guest, just from a, a purely selfish reason. I want to know what, what people think about it. Um, what do you think of when you think of a full life, the best life yeah, that you can live? What does that mean my- to
2: you? Dad, who said this, I'm not sure exactly where it came from, but I think of the concept of leaving the world better than I found it. And I think that that is something that unfortunately most people and most generations have not done. You know, we don't inherit the earth from the people who came before us, we borrow it from the people who are going to come after us. Um, That kind of cliche, I think, also sums it up. I just feel. Even if humanity is on a glide path toward extinction and the climate is irreversibly changed and we are experiencing a period of mass extinction, and even if all of that is completely irreversible, I believe that I can have an impact on the lives and the quality of life and the, and the lived experience of other human beings. And that in and of itself is worth making an effort to make some people's lives better to some marginal degree, if I can. So that's my goal is to leave the world better than I found it, even if that just means improving some people's lives, even if in the bigger picture, things are not really fixable.
0: Thank you for that. And Bridget, same question to you. What do you think of what is a full life uh, what is the best version of Bridget? Wow, how can look I like, top what does a full Jackie life meeting?
1: said? Can I just say ditto? <laughs> no. <laughs> um, I think I, I'm with Jackie that a full life for me definitely includes a lot of service. Uh, I am so happy when I am helping people and whether it's teaching or just, just talking with someone, I have conversations every week with parents whose kids just came out and who are really in crisis and suffering in a lot of pain. And so to me, that's a full life I'm helping. I'm serving I'm doing good work in the world, but I'll go a little more selfish with it because I think, you know, Jackie and I have learned a lot from her dad. We have to say like, he is an amazing person. (laughs) And one of the things that he's taught me about living a full life is it does mean taking care of yourself and being not selfish, but. Doing things that you enjoy, you know, whether it's getting a massage or going for a great hike or having a really nice glass of wine or whatever it is for the person, right? But, but my husband, you know, Jackie's dad, he really, really lives life to the fullest. You know, he's president of his business organization, he runs an amazing business, he volunteers a ton, he's on search and rescue, you know, he. he but he also always makes time to like really, really enjoy fun things in life and indulgences and self-care practices. And so I think that's a full life. And I have to say, I've fallen short. Jackie probably would agree that she saw me like, you know, running like the hamster in the wheel, you know, from teaching to doing a training, to (laughs) be trying to be good mom, you know, and I was, even though I did all these things, I was, mostly when they were young, the, the parent who picked them up from school and who went to their school events, right. And who, you know, was at every game, you know, in their sports. And, um, so I, I, you know, now at this stage of my life in my fifties, where I run around and run myself ragged, I'm really seeing the value of a full life, including downtime and fun time and pleasure. And I want to make that case for everyone listening that that's important.
0: I ask this one too, this podcast is sort of journey of mine is about just sort of being present, being conscious, being deliberate, knowing myself, knowing who I want to be and being aware of when I'm starting to fall back or slip or, you know, kind of go back into the sort of the default thinking or default modes that aren't healthy or aren't helpful. Do you have any strategies? Does it happen to you? And do you have any strategies for when you start to notice that that you sort of bring you back to like, okay, this is, I'm not well, on the Well, I'll start and I'm really curious to hear Jackie's
1: answers because I, I I honestly think that Jackie is one of the most grounded people I know. Like she doesn't get really ruffled about things and that's something I work on. So Greg, I think you and I probably talked about, I, I do meditate every day. I wake up and the first thing I do is the 10 minute calm app meditation, which I love. And that gets me started a little bit calmer i tend to run high and run fast and furious <laughs> so uh, meditation is huge for me <laughs> really healthy eating and trying to get exercise. And for me, people, I'm a people person. So if I've gone too long without really deeply connecting with my dearest friends, my parents, I'm blessed to, you know, and Jackie has a very close relationship with my parents also. My parents are amazing. They're in their seventies. They're super active. They're happily in love after 50 some years of marriage. Um, So I I make time to be with them and like people, I, that's for me is nourishment. Um, and, and that allows me to be present and mindful. Um, as a coach, I have to show up for people and be like fully in their world and completely set myself aside or a trainer. If I'm doing like, I did a big workshop yesterday and it was like, I needed to do my meditation and my practices and get centered and make sure I felt connected so that I could be Fully there for the people in the workshop. Um, So, those are some of my practices hiking, walking. I know it sounds like all the things that people say. I don't really have any. I guess the one thing I do, probably that's different, you know, as a coach, having been through a couple of coach training programs, I do do a lot of thought work and cognitive behavioral therapy on myself. (laughs) you know, or I catch myself, which I, I really talked about in my first podcast episode, which you mentioned, like when I'm, when I've really got that stinking thinking, as they say, and my mind is just circling around negative thoughts and catastrophic thoughts, and this isn't going to work out and I don't have time for this and there's too much going on. Right. And I really, um, catch my thoughts and reframe a lot. And it's so empowering to me to be able to go, Oh, I don't, like you said, Greg, you know, I don't have to feel this way. I don't have to think this. Sometimes you do. I just want to say, by the way, sometimes you just feel really bad and you just need to be okay with that and like sit with feeling really crappy. And I have to do that a lot, but there are other times where there's this magic opportunity that's just available to all of us to go, Oh, I'm having like, I'm where the way I'm thinking about this is really not serving me. And I could just change my thought and think something different. And poof, like all of a sudden I can focus on work. I can show up for somebody else who's struggling. I can feel better, you know? So those are some of my top answers. It's it's mm-hmm. it's a lifelong journey for me. I'm curious about your answers, Jackie, because honestly, you always, really, you do, you, I think you get it more from your dad. Like you look at things logically and you try to figure out how to solve what's going on. You don't get really like triggered or caught up in a lot of drama that that a lot of the rest of us do.
2: I think, um, yeah, I definitely mm, not, I I would say I've probably dated some people who this isn't their favorite trait about me, but I'm very like problem solution oriented. Like if, Mm -hmm. if there's a problem, I'm like, what's the solution? I minored in philosophy. I love the Stoics. I love their whole idea of like, You have an impulse, and it's up to you whether you allow that impulse to become an emotion. It's up to you the degree to which you allow that impulse to kind of take over your mind and shape your perspective. But that said, getting back to the original question of kind of tactics for resetting my thought process, I would say the one thing, and I don't always do this often enough, but the one thing that I feel really helps for me is to have a full day where I don't have to do anything at all, to have a full day where I have no responsibilities, no expectations. I can have to do a bunch of stuff the next day. That's fine. But just carve out at least one full 24 hour period where I only do what I want. If I want to go for a walk, I can go for a walk. If I want to go to the beach, I can go to the beach. I can watch three movies (laughs) in a row. I can sleep half the day, (laughs) whatever I want to do. And I mean, I don't Like one time I worked on a congressional campaign where I worked 118 days in a row without taking a day off. So it's not something that I always do very often, but it is something that I try to make time for when I feel like I really need a reset. Like my mom doesn't even know this, but I actually took this whole past week off of work. So like I've had this whole week off and it's been really, really nice because I'm in between jobs. Um... I've been working for the city this year during a pandemic. So my work has been pretty intense and not what I expected it to be. And using a full week of paid time off has been like a really amazing opportunity to take time to do things that I want to do, have whole days where I don't have to do anything. And I feel like having that time to be alone with your thoughts and to actually reflect on where you're at in your life, where you're headed, um, what things you might want to adjust, um, how you might want to adjust your perspective. Just having that time really allows me to kind of settle into a better perspective.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, with three young kids, I'm, I'm looking forward to that day 20 years. Yeah, from Yeah. If, I, if I,
2: I do have kids one day, day I off, have to um, I
0: come up with a different strategy. <laughs> 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 You'll be okay with these five right. minutes. You, you
1: learned to condense that the same experience.
0: Yeah, when you're, yes. when you're sitting on the toilet right. or something, and you're taking a shower. <laughs> <laughs> My showers have become very long yes,
1: these
0: they, days. Yes. I waste a lot of water. I'm sorry, California.
1: It's a mental but. health requirement. I. Agree.
0: <laughs> what do you exactly, Jackie? What do you when you when you have these days, and I, and maybe it's pretty rare, but when you have these days off where you don't do anything. Is it really strict? Like I don't do. I only do what I want to do when that sort of thing comes. Or do you do you actually sort of say on these days off, I'm going to set aside, I'm going to set aside some time to sort of think about the state of things and to see if I'm on the right track. Like, do you are you setting aside self-examination time, ph- philosophical thinking time, deep thinking, deep work kind of stuff, or is it just like, no, this is my day to just do whatever the heck I want impulsively or yeah not, it's
2: it's very unstructured what I, want. The, I i usually just kind of allow the self-reflection and, and deeper thinking to kind of happen when it happens and the, the day itself is less structured i don't really i mean i'm sure everyone has their own strategy that works best for them but for me personally um, it doesn't really work to structure it i prefer to just keep it all free-flowing
1: Jackie, I'm just wondering if you, if you remember your dad doing that, if you got that at all from your dad, because he, he jokes, we would always joke. He takes kneel days Mm -hmm. And and he did. So do you remember that? He did do that. Even when the kids were really young, he would go to a hotel for 24 hours and just have a kneel day. And it's exactly what Jackie just described. It was unstructured, unplanned. And he often did end up having like these huge epiphanies and deep thinking, but he didn't he didn't put the pressure on himself that he had to have that. And so the kids always, I think, were aware that dad would go off for a Neil Day.
2: Oh, yeah. I very much <laughs> yeah. remember Neil days. Yeah. Okay.
1: <laughs> and that was with two young kids, Greg. So I don't know. You know, I know you have three, but um, but maybe there is a way. I don't know. With nannies and help <laughs> or family members or whatever you yeah. had to piece together. Well,
2: <laughs> maybe in a non COVID world.
1: <laughs> yeah.
2: Right.
0: Yeah, in a non-COVID world, maybe, but I still may take us offline and ask you how the heck <laughs> he got you to agree to, to doing that. Uh, that would be my next question. Maybe that's what well, interview I interview him on. That'll be the whole I mean, there's a lot more too, but honestly, I saw the
1: benefits. One, I mean, one literally being yeah. revenue, because he would come up with business solutions. That wasn't the goal. Mm-hmm. But when you finally have quiet time, you know this, Greg, that's when they come.
0: Yes, no, and and in fact, when I when I used to travel, it feels like t- twenty seven years ago, um, when I used to travel for work, I would mm-hmm. generally schedule some extra time in there, not not usually a full day, but a little extra time where I'd sit in a sort of hotel room or I'd go down to the lobby and with a journal and I just sort of sit through deep deep things. But it wasn't a it wasn't a free day, mm-hmm. and I think uh, there's there's a lot to that if you say, Hey, like, it's like like forcing creativity. It's like, say, okay, I'm going to sit here and I'm going to write this, piece," which is okay to sort of say, I'm going to write for an hour every morning, but I don't know. Creativity is a lot more free flowing when you, and when you sort of just drop everything and let it come Mm -hmm. and it it hits you. Oh, great. Let's, let's get to it. it, It's, it's stronger, better. I I find, um, from my perspective. Bridget, you you spoke about daily practices. You have a daily calm meditation or anything else you do daily like a uh, daily journaling, daily th- uh, daily workout. Yeah, daily I morning I have I practice, have to say I haven't something that's
1: always been consistent, but I'll say in like my best times, yes, I would be journaling. I would be doing my gratitude journal, it's reminding me to get back to that at the end of the day, reflecting on things I'm grateful for that day and uh yeah, getting outside. I do get outside every day. I mean, I I've been really, really busy. We have a lot of great work projects, (laughs) big training and design and delivery programs and projects right now. So I have been spending a lot of hours inside at the desk, but uh, normally get outside, do a hike, do a walk, walk the dogs. Yeah. Uh, Yes. So outside, sun, meditation, um, working out. Yes. Daily working out of of some kind. Absolutely. And gratitude journaling. Yes.
0: When you take a hike, are you, are you talking about like possibly going in the or just local? We're
1: very lucky locally to have some great hiking trails. So it could, even in my neighborhood, we have hiking trails. So I, it could, it could be something for as little as a 45 minute time investment to yeah.
0: You and well, Neil hike together. Yeah. Neil and I try to time hike times? together
1: once a week. Sometimes it's once every two weeks, but yes, we do. And we try to do longer hikes in Malibu, Santa Monica mountains, by the beach, those sorts of things we really do. And we also have really close by beautiful hikes that we can just go for an hour or I can just go by myself.
0: When you, uh, and I'm asking this from a purely um, selfish Mm. perspective. Mm -hmm. I have trails Mm -hmm. behind me too. I live in the Santa Monica mountains too. And I would love to go hiking, but I'm just kind of afraid of... uh, mountain lions and other things while you know going fully alone is it, it are the hiking trails sort of pretty easy by you or do you have like protection that you bring with you like a, a big
1: <laughs> Neil does bring Neil Walking brings stick, like a, I think yourself. it's an expandable like stick that could be used as something and he he's always very well prepared with those things but I am not I'm I tend to be yeah. pretty fearless maybe I shouldn't be because you know I know they're there <laughs> I kind of have a belief mm-hmm. it could get me someday that, you know, we can coexist peacefully with nature. You know, if I don't bother or disturb any creatures I see out there that they'll let me peacefully do the walk, but they're usually pretty well, you know, pat- well-worn paths that people come through. And I think it's pretty safe. It's a good question. It is mm-hmm. something to, to consider and to be prepared for.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I know mountain lions. I mean, there's there's not many here. They're they're tracked, and there's not many. But I I know that they yeah. they can can stalk humans. Yeah, which is a little yeah, <laughs> it's a little a little freaky. Um, but we'll I'll I'll try to yes. ask Neil more about his protection. <laughs> um, because I know he's he's a well prepared person. Um, <laughs> if we ever get to interview him. So Jackie, same same question for you. Are there sort of daily routines, daily habits that, you know, do you write an hour every morning? Is are there something that you do daily that honestly, no, that's um, important in your life?
2: Yeah, no. Um, I that's actually one of one of the things I kind of like about my job is that I'm not doing the exact same thing most days. So I, I actually really value having variety in my day to day life. And so it's not I'm. I'm. I struggle with routines and commitments, um, so it's not something that there's. There's no one thing that I do every day that's that's really important to make sure I get done. I mean, I, I brush my teeth every day. That's important.
1: <laughs> Jackie's very spontaneous. She, her personality. Good. type.
0: Yeah.
1: yeah, she's very spontaneous. Very
0: important. I love that about her. <laughs> Bridget, you did. You did a good job. You yes. you, you taught her how to. I'm very glad to
1: hear you're still doing that. So
0: congratulations. Uh, <laughs> um uh last sort of question um and I kind of mm-hmm. steal this one from from Tim Ferris's book which is um what are the books that either have been sort of most profound for you in your life, or the books that you gift the most, or that you would that you would recommend the most. Do you have any sort of books and? Brittany, oh my gosh! I will say in my story?
1: book, which I ha- I'll just mention, my book is called Communication Secrets for Success. In the back of it are a list of seventy-five of my favorite books, <laughs> so that would be the the more complete answer. But the one that always comes to me for sure: the Power of Now anything and everything by Brené Brown, most mm. recently Dare to Lead. Uh Glennon Glennon some from this year Untamed by Glennon Doyle was amazing. Uh I mean I have authors and now it's all escaping me of course, but probably some of what you read, you know, as well Greg. I mean anything personal development, personal growth, but Eckhart Tolle, so you know, Power of Now and a New Earth. Now I'm gosh, it's escaping me as Okay, those are the ones that those come
0: are, to that's, me. That, you you gave me three three good ones that came to mind. That's that's great. And the power of now, yeah, that was really um, helpful for me too. I went through a mm-hmm. a little bit of a health scare, a pretty pretty big health scare about a year ago, and um, mm-hmm. I had discovered Eckhart before that, but it really was helpful to kind of revisit that while I was mm-hmm. going through that that sort of scare um in particular just sort of like it's it's very pronounced when you're having a a, a scare like that where you you know you're sort of um facing something something frightening where it's like you can't deal with that you right. can only deal with what's in front of you what's now right. you can't deal with what like what ifs um, there's no, there's no contending with that. Yes. So that's a really yes, powerful book. I agree. And, oh, I uh, want
1: to add Greg, one that I know Jackie and I share and author is Pema mm. Chodron and uh, Zen Buddhist philosophy that I know mm. we both love. And also Tara Brock. I'm a huge fan of radical compassion.
0: Mm-hmm. Are you, um, Oh, my gosh. Pimo, Anything and everything in she's in written. And or most like recently,
1: the... I read Welcoming the Unwelcome, which was a game changer for me.
0: Hmm. i have to check that out. Okay. Um,
2: I think, all right, yeah, Jenny, my your list turn. probably trends in a different direction. I would say off the top of my head without naming too many, maybe like Slaughterhouse Five by Kurt Vonnegut, Evicted by Matthew Desmond is a really good one. Um, Six Mass Extinction by Elizabeth Colbert, New Jim Crow by Michelle Alexander, um, and then also one that really was very powerful to me, Between the World and Me by Ta-Nehisi Coates. Um, mm-hmm. so just off the top of my head, I think that's like five or something, but yeah, those are some, some good ones that I have gifted and would gladly gift and, and gladly read again if I had the time.
1: Jackie, you gifted me one of my favorite books on Stoic philosophy. The, I forgot the name of it, but it's e- Epictetus, the teachings of Epictetus on Stoic oh, philosophy. Oh, yeah. The
2: um, the really little one that I forget how yeah. to pronounce it. And, and en- en- or something en- like en- that. And
1: Chideron or something like that. Yeah, but basically that she great. said to me, I was telling Jackie all about the life coaching concepts I was learning. She's like, well, that's basically Stoic philosophy. <laughs> and she sent me time. This is, goes back to ancient Greece, <laughs> you know, and I'm like, oh, it does. And, and so I read up and realized that was very true.
0: Yeah, the um, I I've been really enjoying yes. sort of uh, Ryan Holidays. He just sums it down in a way that just makes yes. it very um, digestible um, to, to quickly sort of read and understand. And I I think I, I think he does justice by sort of using modern day examples of sort of yes. Stoic thinking. But what's I, the, Epictetus so the book is, is called Enchideron,
1: and the 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 um the Stoic philosopher from ancient Greece. His name was Epictetus. So the book kind of summarizes some of Epictetus, his four teachings, yeah. which are literally like almost word for word the you know the 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 thought work that we're talking about, right? Choosing your thoughts and being mindful of how your thoughts create your feelings, and the the ha- you know the people who are happy and content are the people who choose to be grateful for what they have. And, you know, I mean, it's, it's much more eloquently put in, in the books, but those are some of the principles are really Mm -hmm. what we're, we're learning today and thinking are new. And here we go way back to hundreds BC, you know, same exact messages. And so Jackie turned me on to that, you know, that whole realm and, and reading that work. And I love Ryan Holiday too. I've looked, I've read some of his work as well. And I think he does, yeah, ha- I have a podcast. I think he does that I've listened to. Yeah.
0: I don't know um, if it's just, if it sort of mirrors a mm-hmm. daily stoic and some of his other stuff, but I, I'm not really sure. Uh, thank you for all of that. Is there, as we wrap this up, is there anything that either of you would like to sort of? leave the audience with uh, where to find you, where to find out more about you or more about the things that you're working on, anything that any sort of words that you want to sort of say check before, out you, before, we, before we end this.
2: Sign up for our 10 tips for communication. And we will keep the content coming.
1: And if you're a Facebook person who's in Facebook groups, join our Facebook group. You can just you can just lurk. You don't even have to say anything. I have so many friends who are like, "I love what you posted," and oh my gosh, it was so interesting that that person said this and that. And I'm like, "Where are you? I don't see you." You know, so you can just join in. Uh, you know, but and learn a lot from the conversation that's happening there. It's just a Facebook group called Transgender School, and you can just ask to be included in the group. And we're also on Instagram and Twitter. And we have a Facebook business page and just follow us. We're having a great conversation. Find us. Oh, and uh, Greg, if I can say awesome. my, my company name, which is my, my longtime company is Sampson coaching Please. and consulting. And that's our website as well. And our podcast it goes, you know, is, is part of that endeavor. And we, we love to talk with folks who are interested in coaching and training on uh, prof- professional and personal development skills.
0: What's, excellent. The what's right the questions. what's the title of your podcast again? The Right Questions. And that's available where Yes all podcasts and on YouTube. We do record available. so you can see it. Um, oh, so thank you both so, so very much. My my first uh, dual interview. So I hopefully I did it justice. And you you both showed up tremendously. So I, I really appreciate you both taking time on uh on your on your saturdays to spend it with me and this was so much fun and i will make sure to include all of these uh resources in um on the website and as well as uh as i release it on itunes and everywhere that podcasts are available and uh maybe uh bridget you can convince neil to to do this as well i would I
1: would, I would love to, I will do my best. I'll use whatever influence I have. And I just want to say, Greg, thank you so much for having this conversation. This is our first podcast together. We're really just getting started with sharing our conversation with a wider audience than just the two of us and our family. So you made it so not only easy and comfortable, but safe and pleasant and fun. And I just can't thank you enough. Thank you so much, Greg. It was an honor and you're an amazing person. You inspire me so much and, and, listeners out there, please keep listening to Greg. I mean, you're going to learn and grow so much from it. And I'll be listening <laughs> with you. I'm a fan. And it's such an honor to to have been here with you today.
0: Thank you. I appreciate that. I appreciate uh, being the first podcast that you're on. I'm sure you're going to be on many. So I appreciate it. And I'll be rooting for you along the way as well. Again, thank you. Have a great weekend. Thank you for listening to the podcast. If you've enjoyed this podcast and would like to help support it, the best way to do so is to leave a review on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. Not only do I read every one of them, but leaving a review will hopefully help increase the visibility of the podcast, which means that it will help reach other listeners that are also trying to discover what it means to live a full life. Additionally, part of the reason for creating the podcast was to start a conversation with others around the world. So if you'd like to connect, please visit me at gregberard.com. That's G-R-E-G dot dcom and sign up for my newsletter. Not only will you be up to date on the latest podcasts and guests, but you'll also receive my personal blog, shared resources, and other media that I plan on releasing over time. The email you receive will also come from my personal email address, so I'm happy to have a dialogue personally by responding directly. Lastly, I'd love to connect with you on Twitter and Instagram, and all my social handles are available on my website, gregberard.com. Thanks for listening.